You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Matt Hartwell, and we will get to him in just a second. But first, let's get to our very special guest. We've got Trevor McHugh with Maze and Blue Review in the house, back on the podcast. Trevor, I'm not sure if you realize this, but you were actually our first guest ever. You were on episode four, and now we're, I think we're at 45 or so episodes. And so how does it feel to be responsible for the widespread success of the Big House Bleachers podcast? I do realize I was the first guest, and I realize I haven't been back since, and I, I've been offended. Uh, I, th- I thought I was going to be a regular part, but you know, whatever. I mean, you've added this this faux brick wall behind you, so like upgrades have happened. You know, hey, that's but- real brick. That's real brick. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I was so excited when you guys asked me the first time. Um, obviously, we interacted on Twitter a bunch before that, and I've been keeping up with you guys and Matt with what you've been doing and your writing as well. So. No, glad to be back and, and really happy for you guys doing well. Excited to get on here and talk Michigan, man. And Mr. Matt Hartwell, how are you doing, sir? Your, your hashtag free Harbaugh shirts seem to be selling like hotcakes, buddy. I saw a little bit of that going on. Do you want to uh, tell our listeners where they can pick up a free Harbaugh shirt? Yeah, absolutely, man. I won't, uh, I won't get too into uh, self-promoting the free Harbaugh shirts on here, but Uh, They were a huge hit. Obviously, everybody loves our guy. Uh, They want him free of all of these NCAA shenanigans that are surrounding him right now. So if you're interested in picking up a free Harbaugh shirt, you can do so at uh, mazeworld.com minus the O. Uh, So mazeworld.com, no O. You can swing over there, uh, grab a shirt in blue or maze. And, uh, and we'll get it out to you in the coming days. I love how you say you're not going to plug it too hard and then you sh- uh, move on to shamelessly plug where they can buy your shirts, which is exactly what I wanted you to do. So thank you for doing that, Matt. Go get yourself a shirt, listeners. Um, Trev, this was supposed to be a, a very simple, straightforward depth chart podcast episode and then the national college football landscape uh just went and changed on us overnight and so i think what we'll do is let's kick things off talking a little bit about conference realignment uh first and foremost oregon and washington will be accompanying usc and ucla to the big 10 so uh what do you see as you know implications for that move at a discount too right I think I think that's an important piece to put in this was, mm-hmm. you know, Oregon and Washington are coming in at 50 percent till like 2031 or something like that. So uh, the Big Ten knew they had leverage. I don't think they were looking to move to expand quickly. But once it looked like the Pac-12 was kind of self-destructing because after an entire year, the best they could get was an Apple streaming deal. I think they knew it made sense to add Oregon and Washington now. Um I mean, in context, just that simple, it's still kind of weird, right? But in the context of USC and UCLA coming, I think it, it makes sense to, to have that Western expansion. But yeah, it's just, man, TV and money is going to win. And, and that was kind of what we wanted to see happen here was initially some of the Big Ten schools and some of the bigger schools weren't in favor of this move, 
right? They they wanted to keep waiting. And they even talked about, well, if you're going to bring Oregon and Washington, let's get Stanford and Cal too, because of all the academic benefits that would come with that. And Fox said no. So it's pretty clear who's in the driver's seat right now. And it's Fox for the Big Ten and ESPN for the SEC and ACC. So, I mean, that's where we're going, man. It's going to be monster leagues that are run by the TV companies that have their contracts. And, you know, there's really no turning back. I said, you know, I'm going to miss the, the regionality of college football. But if, if you can't get back to that, I think I do like the idea of these conferences becoming more powerful in terms of being versus the NCAA, right? And potentially a situation where it's going to be more beneficial to players, right? I, I said from the beginning, if you want to know what these organizations care about, look at who they've hired to be their presidents. And the Big Ten hired a TV guy and, and they're focused on their media deal and expanding. And the NCAA hired a former governor and they're lobbying the government right now to try and restrict the transfer portal and, and put their hands all over the NIL landscape. So if you're a fan of the players and, and college football in general, I know expansion isn't great, but you can't stop the train. So might as well go along for the ride or otherwise you're going with the NCAA that's looking to restrict this as much as they can. I might be one of these weird outliers because I, I, I hear a lot of the, the traditionalists, the college football fans that uh, are kind of bummed out about the good old days, but you know, I think people have selective memory about the good old days. I mean, I, I wrote an article earlier this week where I pointed out as recently as 1996, games were ending in ties. And 97, we saw Nebraska and Michigan split a championship because there was literally no way to settle it on the field. The system hadn't even figured out a championship game yet. And then, you know, you look at three years ago, players couldn't even make money off their the game that they had given their life to. And so for me, I think uh, change is inevitable. I, I think this looks a little bit more like progress than, uh, you know, destroying traditions. I think we're going to see a lot of good traditions stick around like Michigan and Ohio State. And, and then we're going to get new traditions. We're going to get some cross-country rivalries that we get to see uh, on a year-in and year-out basis. And we're going to get to see some new, fresh, uh, you know, different things happening in college football. So there are certain elements like the 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 classic Rose Bowls, you know, you know, there there are some things that I'll miss, but uh, I'm all for a lot of what's going on right now. I I think it drums up excitement. Matt, are you uh, are you in the camp that's reminiscent about the good old days, or are you are you ready for this? Uh, I didn't even mention the 12 team playoff, right? The 12 team playoff is another big piece of this, and so conference realignment seems to be happening just in time for this playoff system. How do you feel about that, Matt? Yeah, I'm kind of of a uh, similar mindset to both of you gentlemen who uh, both of you raised great points about all of this stuff on uh, Twitter, by the way. But, um, you know, I obviously still want to hang on to all of the uh, tradition, good old days aspects of all of this, this stuff. But when it really comes down to it, it's like you said, Mike, a lot of the same stuff that we've been complaining about for decades could possibly reach a resolution within this new format. So I'm trying to be open about it in the most recent days. Um, I think that one thing that I'm really high on the idea of uh, getting sorted out is probably like the death of the undefeated team in college football, which, uh, you know, obviously you love seeing a team run the table. Uh, end it in in a playoff in a national championship, having only one loss or no losses. But you know, 
that's been one thing for a lot of people that's kind of a boring part of college football. When you open teams up to all of these new possibilities of different matchups and teams that they've never played before, things are going to get shaken up a lot in the uh, postseason landscape. So I'm super excited for that, super excited for the for the potential of new traditions forming. And I guess we'll just see how it goes. You know, it's like Trevor said, change is coming, whether or not you want to be on board with it or not. So you might as well just kind of lean into what's going on and embrace it. And, you know, the good thing about all of this is that Michigan is on top while all this stuff is happening, not on top, but towards the top. So I think that they're in a very good position to take advantage of whatever happens. So we'll see. That's a very good point you make, Matt, is the timing of this for Michigan fans makes it a little bit less scary. Uh, I'm sure Washington State fans have a completely different perspective about what's going on. And of course, I referenced that because we didn't even mention Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, all heading to the Big 12, basically leaving Cal, um, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State in this little weird four-team purgatory right now. And, and Trev, I was thinking about the, the – we know that things are not done moving, right? And so the pack. The pack four, as it stands right now, is going to have to either reach down and grab a bunch of small teams or what's likely going to happen is those four remaining teams are going to find homes in these new power conferences. Um, The teams that I'm keeping an eye on just on the national landscape and Trev, tell me if I leave anybody out here. um, Notre Dame, obviously, uh, they will probably (laughs) remain conferenceless forever, but, you know, we want to keep an eye on them. And then Clemson, Florida State, and Miami are interesting to me because the ACC is losing a lot of ground. And that 12-team playoff, they're going to want to renegotiate the format of the automatic bids. And I don't think the ACC has a whole lot of ground to stand on with uh, the Big Ten and the SEC. And now now even the Big 12 looking a little bit stronger. So um, before we move on, I just, Trevor, I want to get just kind of your insights into like, what are the next moves that you think might be coming down the pipeline. So the the one thing the ACC does have to stand on is a media deal locking dudes in until 2036. Uh, if Florida State was as coveted as they wanted to be, they wouldn't be talking as loudly as they're talking, right? Like USC and UCLA kind of came out of nowhere, right? Florida State barking as loud as they are is they're upset with the money disparity, and I don't think there's much they can do about it. I, I think there might be a time where the SEC pulls them in Clemson, or you know I know they might have interest in the Big Ten. I think the ESPN that ESPN has an interest in keeping the ACC going, and I wonder if maybe they're going to throw some extra money to Clemson and Florida State to kind of keep that thing afloat. Um, the the school you didn't mention there that I know the Big Ten really would like, and had Oregon and Washington not as happened as quickly, uh, North Carolina and Virginia is another one. I think the Big Ten. Would love to get into Florida, and that's what makes Florida State and Miami interesting. Uh, but I, I think North Carolina and Virginia are big targets as well. And then obviously, if the ACC does have a situation where the schools come together and blow up their rights deal, and you know maybe a Syracuse or Pitt, now we're getting into these like twenty-four team conferences, Big Ten versus SEC or whatever. But you know that the the, the Pac twelve thing is sad. It, it it really is, and you know. What's cha- it's kind of funny. I think I like where college football is going to be starting in 2024 better than anything that's happened in the last 20 years or so. 
right? Like once they introduced, you're right, there was no national champion, true national champion. We kind of just accepted that. You know, I was old enough to remember that. It's just how it was. So you, you won the games you could control on the field and you won the Big Ten and you went to the Rose Bowl and that was great. But Washington State in 97 was in that Rose Bowl. I've got him in that picture right behind me here with Woodson. They were like number seven in the nation or something that year. The gap between those programs has just become so massive in recent years. So it used to be, man, there's 130. We could never pick a true national champion. Like, that's crazy. We'll let the polls do it, but there's no way we could figure it out. Now that there's a 12-team playoff and there's only X number of teams that really are national caliber, every, national championship caliber every year, I think the system's going to make more sense. But yeah, the, the Pac-12 over 100 years is going to be gone. I, I don't think there's a scenario where they can add enough teams. And you got to remember with the college football playoff, the six conference champions getting the automatic bid, the Big Ten and SEC are not going to be cool with that if this Pac-4 plus a few schools counts, right? So... <laughs> I think it's more likely Washington State and Oregon State probably are better fits for the Mountain West. I mean, that's just kind of the programs they've become at this point. They were willing to take a 25% media share to keep Oregon and Washington. So I think they could go down. But Stanford is arguably the number one athletics program in the country. Right. And you wonder if, you know, whether it was the success Harbaugh had or if David Shaw had kept success going, if football was a little bit more palatable at Stanford, if things would have gone different, but it, it's crazy to think that they could go independent or even in the mountain West when in every other Olympic sport, they dominate. Right. And they're, and they're left on an Island because football is King. Well, speaking of football being King, Michigan football is King to us. And oh, we look at that transition. Well done. There we go. Working on the segues, <laughs> you know, getting smooth with it here. Uh, the roster came out that, that is a Michigan football, uh, you know, big kind of event for us because not only do we get the names, which uh, there is every now and then there's a few names that sneak on that we, we maybe didn't know we're walking on or something like that. But more importantly, we get the numbers, we get the player jerseys and we get the weights. Um, usually the heights don't change too much, but sometimes on these younger guys, you want to keep an eye on that as well. But I think the weight changes are the things that stick out the most to me when the roster comes out. And so I wanted to take a moment and just uh, maybe each of us talk about what what popped out to us when we looked at that roster. And Matt, we'll go to you first. Uh, any uh, anything stick out to you when the roster dropped? Um, I think the big obvious one is uh, Cole Cabana gaining a dangerous uh, twenty pounds uh, since joining the Michigan team. He's now at uh, two hundred, I believe it was that he posted uh, per his own. Uh, Twitter account. So that's amazing to see. Another thing that jumps out to me uh, that I like to see is Jair Hill adding an extra 10 pounds to kind of compete for that additional cornerback spot. So just to name a couple of things, I mean, there's several numbers that that jumped out to me. I like Micah Pollard beefing up a little bit, kind of looking like he's been a little bit more prominent. Um, as far as being spoken about rather than others that we've heard in the past, like Jimmy Rolder, et cetera, et cetera. I've been hearing Pollard's name a lot, like to see that weight addition that he added. And then also just guys like uh, Trevor Keegan, Chris Jenkins, obviously adding a good amount of weight to, uh, to their frame. Um, and then smaller guys, obviously like, like Roman Wilson staying in a good, healthy weight gain, but still adding a little bit probably of uh, muscle to their frame. So 
really all positives was my biggest takeaway from it, guys. Man, that's an awesome call out on that Cole Cabana weight because I think that was probably the first thing I was skimming and it was kind of the first thing I wanted to see because we were all thinking Cole Cabana was, you know, a few months ago, maybe a definite red shirt. He had a little bit of an injury when, uh, you know, spring ball was going on. He was, you know, coming out of high school at 175, 180. I mean, that's, that's like what I weigh and I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand a chance on a football field. I'm going to tell you guys that right now. And, uh, for him to put on 18 pounds to 198, and then a couple days later, he tweeted out that he had hit 200. Uh, Donovan Edwards was playing at like, like 206 or something like that last year. So if Cole Cabana's 200 pounds, uh, he may have just moved himself into consideration to burn that red shirt uh, and, and really get into the nitty gritty and in conference Big Ten play. So I agree with you, Matt. That was, that was a big one. Good call out there. Uh, Trev, what, what, uh, jumped off the page at you? Yeah. Cabana's a good one. And then also CJ Stokes, both of those running backs getting over 200 pounds. I think both of them are guys that have been identified as maybe a little leaner for the position. Um, Stokes last year, as much attention as the fumble got the one fumble, uh, the really thing, the thing he needed to do is bulk up a little bit, bounce off some guys, break some tackles. So I think off the bat, the, the freshman weight gain. Right. I mean, shocker, Ben and Abigail are really good at their jobs. Right. But mm -hmm. the weight these freshmen put on is just unbelievable. Um, Brian Ishmael, we weren't sure if he was going to be linebacker or edge. Well, he, he's edge. He's 246 pounds. Dude added almost 30 pounds in the offseason. Pretty incredible. Um, but for me, it was the defensive line. I think every single player, when I thought about what I would like to see coming into this roster, I felt like they all did what would be ideal, right? Jenkins bulked up a little bit on the flip side of that. Um, why am I drawing it? I'm, I'm trying to look at my sheet. So now I'm trying to mind play Kenneth Pro Grant, probably Derek Moore. Derek Moore is probably well, no, he's on my list, but no, the defensive yeah. tackle Kenneth Grant lost weight, right? And Derek Moore as well. Derek Moore was a guy that people kind of pegged could potentially move into a Jenkins type role or something like Mike Morris did where he spends some time inside and outside and now he's thinned down and gotten stronger. So you like his speed coming off the edge and then vice versa, Josiah Stewart, the transfer coming in from coastal Carolina. So I did some research on him because the, the drop off in statistics from his freshman year to his sophomore year was kind of interesting, right? He was double digit sack guy as a freshman. And then that production kind of dropped off and I wanted to see why. And they changed his position. They moved him from an edge guy to more of a, almost like a Viper role, like this outside linebacker. And he had lost 15 pounds last season to play that role. So he was 237 in the spring. He's 245 now. So he's back at the playing weight that he was his freshman year at Coastal Carolina. So when you look at that, Stewart's back where you want him. Derek Moore's gotten stronger and leaner. Jenkins has gotten bigger. Grant's gotten bigger. Mason Graham didn't show a weight change, but I can tell you he's converted a lot of fat into muscle. He's stronger than he was last year too. That defensive line looks absolutely ready to dominate this year. Yeah, the defensive line looks uh, incredible. Derek Moore and, and Kenny Grant were, were two people that I had circled because typically you're looking for weight gains. You know, a lot of these guys are young, and so you're looking for who's going to gain weight. To me, it's ideal that Derek Moore uh, and Kenneth Grant dropped uh, not just a little bit of weight. I mean, those dudes dropped like 20 pounds a piece. Like, they, they're, they're lean. I'm sure they're going to play quicker, play faster. Um, that, it's, that's really ideal considering what we need out of both of them. Uh, the one thing that you guys didn't mention that, that stuck out to me is Amarion Walker and, and Jaden McBurrows are both listed with the coveted number one jersey. 
Meaning, uh, if Amarion Walker stays on defense, which he's listed as a defensive back, uh, one of those guys is going to have to win that number. Um, so let me pose the question to both of you guys here. Between Jaden McBurrows and Amarion Walker, who do you think um, we're going to see kind of win that number one jersey? And then it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, uh, a spoiler alert on our depth chart conversation because that pretty much means they would be the person, uh, you know, most likely on the opposite side of Will Johnson. Yeah, so yeah, this isn't the first time Harbaugh has used a jersey number as a means of competition. So I'm torn because... Harbaugh has used multiple opportunities to triple down on his assessment that uh, Amorian Walker is starter caliber on the defensive side of the ball. Now, we know he uses the word starter kind of loosely, right? It doesn't necessarily mean he is the only starter. There's like 12 starters on the offensive line, if, if you believe that. So, <laughs> um, but he believes in Amorian Walker. He thinks the ceiling is sky high. He thinks he's an absolute freak and thinks he's going to be starter caliber this year. So, part of me thinks it'll end up being Walker, but I think. I think McBurrows is going to be so steady and I like what he brings on the outside as a tackler and just as a physical guy. And I think Walker might have the ceiling, but I think McBurrows is going to be ahead of him in a, in a consistency standpoint. So if I'm trying to predict depth chart to also predict number, I, you know, I think McBurrows is probably going to come out ahead and get to keep the number one that he's had since he's gotten here. Um, but maybe it's a gift to Walker for switching sides too. I, I don't know, but uh, I, if I had to put money on it, I, I think McBurrows will still be wearing number one. From the start of the season. Hartwell, what do you think, man? I like uh, Trevor's answer. I'm going to say something uh, similar. I just don't know if Walker has it in him in this season. I think that all the potentials there, I'm not taking anything away from what the coaching staff's been saying about him, what behind the scenes people and players have been saying about him. I just think that if he's going to be a dominant player on defense, he's still a little bit of time away from that happening. So I like the pick of McBurrows. If I had to take it a step further, I honestly don't know if either of them uh, see a ton of minutes behind uh, Mike Sainer still, Will Johnson, and then even Jire Hill. I think Jire Hill is is uh, making a lot of buzz right now, and I think that I think Josh Wallace probably starts the season but I think that Jire Hill is right there, almost kind of similar to uh, to how Makari Page was in the safety battle last year. I wouldn't be surprised to see it play out similarly uh, for for Jire Hill um, in that race. So I don't know if I had to pick one, probably McBurrows, but just still think that um, Omarion Walker is going to need some time. And the most important thing that we saw when the rosters and the new pictures came out is, of course, we've got James Turner rocking a mustache, folks. That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what we want to see. I, I, don't, I don't feel right if uh, we don't have a solid mustache in my, in my like, kicking unit at Michigan. And so um, when I saw that mustache on James Turner, it just, it did my heart good. It made me, it, you know, shades of Brad Robbins and Jake Moody. So. Um, you know, moving on to a little bit of recruiting news, we did, we did see, uh, Josiah Edmonds, uh, decommit from Purdue and, and then commit to Michigan. I gotta be honest. I was not very familiar with this guy, but, uh, Tr Trevor, since you're, you're pretty plugged into the recruiting scene, did you know much about him, uh, coming out of school? 
Yeah, they snuck him into the barbecue is basically what happened. So he was at the barbecue at the big house and uh, they pretty much had a commitment lockdown coming out of that. So we we were getting word he was going to flip and it was like, oh, OK, you know, um, heard about him early, kind of back in my mind. I'm not, you know, as on the recruiting trail as hardcore as as Josh is. So I kind of had to go back and search into it. You know, kid from Indiana um, can play both ways. Right. We're, we're still not 100 percent sure where they're going to plug him. It, it feels like corner given the timing of, of when they were going back after him and, and, you know, flipping him after the Aaron Scott commitment. But he's just one of those guys that you forget about being in the class sometimes like this lower mid three star, you know, good athlete, whatever. And then he gets on campus and the, the coaching staff gets a hold of him and you've got Rod Moore, right? So he's an athlete that needs to be molded a little bit, but I think he's a good pickup. And I think they really like a relationship he has as well in terms of uh, another player they might go after. So, And then, of course, uh, a little bit bigger of a name uh, dropped a bombshell on Michigan fans. In the last couple of weeks, we, we started to feel it coming. It, it really felt like Gatlin Bear, who has the potential to be the fastest kid in college, which, you know, t- to, to me, uh, you know, I think of shades of Denard Robinson, even though it, it's a different position. You, you just think of like Tyreek Hill on the Kansas City Chiefs and like... Did, you know, different times when the like having the fastest player on the field does special things for an offense. And so I was daydreaming about uh, Gatlin Bear committing to Michigan. He was a heavy Michigan lean for quite some time. And of course, he chose to stay home. Uh, he's going to Boise State. I believe he's uh, committed to do a two year uh, religious m- mission before he can even play football. So there's a lot of time, you know, that can go by before the kid even hits the field. But Matt, I know you and I have talked a little bit about Gatlin Bear. Were you, uh, were you did you watch, first off, did you watch the commitment? And second, um, were you pretty disappointed? I didn't watch the uh, commitment. I followed a little bit of it on, uh, on Twitter, but obviously it kind of came in the uh, days leading up to it that it was becoming more and more of a Boise State decision, uh, possibly. So, Obviously, hope was was wearing thin. Michigan was very, very close in the race, but it just sucks, man. Obviously, you and I, huge, huge proponents of uh, the Gatlin Bear possibility of him landing at Michigan, but didn't happen. Uh, just another, another guy in the long list of uh, of highly touted recruits that Michigan misses out on. Obviously, there's something to be said about the frustration behind it, but you know he he's uh he's just not coming. It is what it is, and uh, Michigan still stands to have a pretty good class, and they'll just have to take what they can get going into the season and see what else they can uh, what else they can dig up from it. Yeah, we're doing okay. You know, Rivals has us as the number five uh, class in the country. Some other outlets have us a little bit higher than that, even, and so. Uh, no matter where you look, Michigan has a very good recruiting class coming in. Uh, Trev, I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about these guys that didn't commit. So let's let's get straight into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. You guys at Maze and Blue Review dropped a depth chart, um, and I thought that Matt and I could uh, ask you some questions about where you see some guys falling. So uh, Matt, let's start with the quarterbacks. Uh, do you have any? You have any? You know burning questions about the depth chart that uh that they released in the quarterback position yeah absolutely i uh i saw that you you guys list jack tuttle as uh qb2 
obviously I, I kind of have an idea of what leads into that decision, but what makes you guys feel good about uh, about putting him ahead of guys like Davis Warren, Alex Orgy that might have a little bit more time in the system? Yeah, I mean, I had that as Tuttle or or Warren for a while, um, but you know, and, and when Tuttle first came to Michigan, I think there was an expectation he was going to be like the third or fourth quarterback, kind of taking over that Allen Bowman role. Um, you know, he's been pretty vocal about his future maybe being in coaching, right? Um, and then it felt like, oh, he's actually competing for the backup spot. And then Harbaugh explicitly said before the Mason Blue Spring game that right now Tuttle's the backup quarterback. So, you know, coming into camp, that's still the case until, you know, we start getting into moving days where, where things change. Um, I, I've long said I think it's situational. I think if J.J. had to come out of a game – you know, in the second half, Michigan's up a little bit and just needs somebody to drive the bus home. I think that guy would be Jack Tuttle. If JJ is going to miss a game and you know it ahead of time and you're game planning all week, I think that guy might be Davis Warren. Um, we'll, we'll see how this continues to go. They're both similar but different, similar in this aspect of they could have been, well, Tuttle was literally a higher ranked quarterback. Warren had to deal with, you know, getting over cancer and, and COVID limiting his season. He's, he's an incredible kid, incredible story. So, and Come 2024, Davis Warren could be fighting for the starting quarterback job, right? So I think this is just letting these two guys battle, having a guy that's been to multiple spots, right? It's been a, a journey for Tuttle. He's at his third program, letting them kind of teach each other. Orgy's an interesting project as well, right? He could get on the field in some special packages this year. I forever, since he committed, thought, you know, maybe he's going to be a running back. Maybe he's going to be a linebacker. They're, they're pretty committed to him in that QB room. And I think it's the long play and he could be a factor in 2024 as well. If JJ McCarthy goes pro they're they're confident they can work on his mechanics and he's got a cannon arm. It's kind of similar to Joe Milton. They just got to reel it in a little bit, get him a little bit more accurate. You know what he can do with his legs and the strength that he's got. So orgy's right there. And, and Jane Denegal too, people forget about him as well. He's getting a lot of reps too. They've got a decent room there. Maybe you know, if JJ's down for a significant period of time, I don't think it matters who the backup is. There's no Cade McNamara on this roster, right? But trying to figure out who you can trust and when, I think that's what they're trying to work through in fall camp. Yeah, I love it. I uh, I don't hate Jack Tuttle, the idea of Jack Tuttle being QB2. Um, I just, I know that there's a little, there's a little bit of questions, just people overanalyzing um, his uh, sample size that they got from the spring game. And then also his time at Indiana, you know, obviously very limited with what he had to work with there. Uh, it's the Indiana Hoosiers, obviously. But, um, you know, uh, I, for me watching him, I kind of got a li some little bit of shades of John O'Corn vibes uh, just with his uh, his. He who shall not be his uh, inability to <laughs> to complete to get the ball downfield fast <laughs> if I just dumb yeah. it down like that. Um, but uh, I found myself being a little bit frustrated by that. But then again, he's going up against Michigan. and That's the spring game. So try not to read too much into it, but really just wanted your uh, fresh perspective on that. So thank you. Yeah, that's why I think it would be in a finishing the game scenario where they just need him to come in, hit some short passes, hand the ball off. Don't do anything crazy. Total would make sense versus we're going to call some deep balls and really need you to make some plays that might be Warren that, that you're, you're right in the wheelhouse there with that. 
Well, you guys pretty much touched on everything that I was thinking from the quarterback spot is that backup quarterback, you know, Davis Warren versus Tuttle. That's a conversation. Uh, my other question was how, do, how do we get Alex Orgy involved? And, and you also referenced that we're, you know, pretty committed uh, to him in the quarterback spot right now. Uh, so let's move on to running backs. So my burning question from the running back position is how many passing touchdowns will Khalil Mullings have this year? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That is not my question. <laughs> All right. Who redshirts between Benjamin Hall and Cole Cabana? Do they both redshirt? Does one of them or do neither of them? Uh, if you had to call your shot today, Trevor, what, uh, what would your choice be? I would lean towards neither because even if Cabana is not getting on the field as a running back, I think he's got a good chance to be the returner this year. He was electric in high school, returning punts and kicks. And with him adding the weight, I, I think he could find a path through special teams. You know, as much as you didn't see Darius Clemens last year, for instance, he played in 11 games, right? So like these guys get on the field. So, um, but from a running back perspective, I know everybody's really high on, on Benjamin Hall right now. And I think he could come out of camp in that RB three spot. I also think he could come out in a situation where they do only want to play him four games potentially, right? You got to remember it was just a spring game and there is a lot of experienced players in that running back room. So I, I could see him maybe slipping down just out of benefit, not because he doesn't have the talent or anything, but Hey, we've, we've got these other guys. Let's preserve it. But um, I think more than likely Hall's going to be in a position to get enough carries. He's going to burn his red shirt. And I think Cabana, if he does it, it's probably going to come via special teams. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to break in as like the sixth or seventh back and get enough gameplay to, burn a shirt. But. Yeah, I, I mean, I love everything you just said. I, I do feel like maybe hanging on to a year uh, of Benjamin Hall's eligibility might be wise considering Donovan and Blake are, we think are likely going to move on simultaneously next year. Uh, that would leave a, still a really good running back room, uh, but it might be nice to have an extra year of, of eligibility with Benjamin Hall to really see what he can become over a few years underneath Mike Hart. He's a very Mike Hart style running back. Uh, so I, by no means am I saying that um, I think negatively of him or that I think he's not ready. I think it's just a product of we've got so much talent in that room. Right. Cole Cabana brings a different element. I'm not sure Benjamin Hall brings a different element. I think he could be the next Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards. And so maybe Maybe that's a guy we decide uh, to not burn an entire year of eligibility on. But I don't know, Matt, what are you thinking about when, when the running back room comes up, man? What are your questions? You know, I, uh, I'm just kind of waiting until the season starts, man. For me, the running back room, it's such, it's such an outlier. You know what I mean? There's just so many variables that could go into this season. Obviously, we have... Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards returning for what we anticipate to be spectacular seasons. Beyond that, I have no idea. You know, we ended last season with Khalil Mullings uh, throwing passes in the Ohio State game. You know what I mean? And then uh, and then rushing for several touchdowns in the Big Ten championship game. What happens with CJ Stokes? What happens with these new guys that have been spectacular in the springtime, you know? So I really just think that uh, it's really just as up in the air as most positions on this team. 
when you're talking about anything beyond Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. So I honestly don't know if we see something similar to what ended off the last season in terms of RB3. You know what I mean? So uh, it'll definitely be interesting. I know, obviously, Khalil Mullings, uh, with the size that he's also added, I anticipate that he'll still get the bulk of short yardage uh, carries and snaps and things like that. But beyond that, man, I don't know. I think that uh, that we do see Cole Cabana burn his red shirt, though, just from the various levels that he'll be probably performing at. I think in the midst of all that, we see him uh, we see him probably lose it just because I, I think that he'll be a contributor on special teams a lot, regardless if he's participating uh, in returning kicks or just another guy out there on the field. So it's definitely interesting to get into it. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go Cabana. And Trevor, just to kind of round it out uh, from the running back position, I was listening to the Hail to the Podcast, shout out, great podcast. Uh, you and Josh were ta- basically referring to CJ Stokes as the, the definite number three guy. And that, that it surprised me a little bit because I didn't know it was that you know, certain uh, that Stokes would step into that third spot. And so is that, where, is that where you see things right now is that CJ Stokes is the first guy in the game um, you know, after Donovan Edwards and, and Blake Corum? Right now, Hall's listed above him on the depth chart at the start of fall camp. A lot of that has to do with Stokes being limited in the spring and Hall having a strong spring, right? The, the team, the coaches aren't going to, you know, Henderson wasn't the starting left tackle at the start of camp either, right? He wasn't with the team. Barnhart earned that. So they're, they're not going to just plug a guy where they think it's going to finish out. They're rewarding guys for the springs and off seasons that they've had. So me saying Stokes feels like kind of a lock at RB3 is almost more of just my belief in CJ Stokes, right? I think people forget he had almost 300 yards and five point yards per carry last year. That's better than Quorum or Edwards had as, had as freshman, right? He had the one fumble. It's never been an issue with him. I don't expect it to be. Um, Stokes is an incredible kid. If you remember his commitment video, re- really emotional and, and really won over a lot of Michigan fans. He comes from an army family. This is a tough kid. And just from a skill set standpoint, especially now that he's over 200 pounds, he can do quorum like things. He can be a threat in the passing game as well. I think Michigan wants to, I don't want to use the word limit quorum and Edwards carries, but I think they'd like to spread them out a little bit, especially early in the season. And if you can bring in a guy like Stokes, that is similar build, similar skill style, does a lot of the similar things and you don't have a huge drop off that puts him in a great position to be a contributor. You know, Hall's a bigger dude. I do think he's that quorum esque player in terms of how he moves and gets you the short yardage. He's got a role there potentially, but Stokes is a guy that I think can come in as a sophomore and do a lot of the same things that Corman Edwards does. And if he can do those things and not have that drop off and keep those guys healthy, the coaches are going to love him. And just a side note, we were recently talking about on this podcast, Michigan players that could take down an, uh, an alligator or wrestle an alligator. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever heard CJ Stokes talk that guy sounds like he could wrangle him a gator. That's that's Columbia, South Carolina, my friend. That's, that's I heard him talk of- on one of the uh, tidbits that Michigan released on their socials, and uh, I was like, that guy sounds like he could wrestle a gator if you if you put him in that position. He's he's such a good kid, man. He's he's awesome. Like, uh, comes from a great family, like I said. So uh, 
he's a funny dude, but uh, he works hard, man. And uh, he took that fumble to heart, and and I think he learned a lot from it. And I don't think it was the beat down negative thing that everybody thought it was either. I think it was just a good coaching moment, and he's come out on the other side stronger. And he's he, he's a guy I think is going to surprise a lot of people this year. I think he's going to be really good. And thank you, Matt, for the the mandatory zoology reference on the BHB pod, <laughs> Trevor. We we regularly you size guys up based on which animals we believe they could take. And sure. so now we've got this CJ Stokes versus versus a gator conversation. That's uh, that's that's one we'll have to add to the board, Matt. Um, Tre- <laughs> Trevor, stuff. you you were talking a little bit about uh, pass catching ability with CJ Stokes. We know Donovan Edwards is going to pass some uh, catch some passes. Um, he's likely even going to line up at wide receiver a little bit, but let's talk about the guys that were going to be playing wide receiver, uh, down in and down out. Um, we know Cornelius will be there. We know Roman will be there. So before we get into the depth, let me just ask. So I've been a big, uh, Roman Wilson, uh, thousand yard receiver guy. I know that's a, I know that's a big, a big statement, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm saying Roman Wilson is going to have himself a year, uh, my question for you is if you if you picked a guy between uh, CJ and Roman, uh, who do you think is going to have more yards between Cornelius and Roman? Cornelius, um, you're, you're talking about a guy that's done it right. When Ronnie Bell was gone in 2021, he was the leading receiver. He's been a contributor for four years. Uh, getting a fifth year guy back is so massive, not just terms of experience, but like there's a big difference between a 23 year old and a 21 year old. man. Like he's a grown man playing wide receiver, right? So we've seen what he can do when he's relied upon in Ohio State, when he's got to be the guy, right? So Cornelius' deal has always been consistency. He's got hands, route running, strength, all those. Um, As the X receiver, I I think he would be the leader between the two. I love Roman Wilson, too. Um, Wilson, though, the last two seasons posted almost nearly identical numbers, regardless of playing slot or Z receiver. He's had these moments where we think he could break out and be a star. I like, like you said, he's added a little bit of weight. I think that's going to be a good thing for him too. He absolutely could be the wide receiver one, but I think, and we'll get into it. I think the way they're going to use the other guys might impact what his ceiling is going to be. Now we're talking about depth chart here. So, you know, I have to reference that third, that third receiver. We know Roman is probably going to stay in the slot. Uh, We've definitely got Cornelius on the outside. Uh, Matt and I have a, a running bet since, uh, you know, late in 2022 who was who was going to kind of step into that third spot and so we had a tyler morris darius clemens bet uh ongoing i i I think it's has something to do with who has uh who wins two out of the three statistical categories between touchdowns uh yards and catches uh matt you will be uh pleasantly surprised to hear that i i overheard uh trevor and josh speaking about uh, Tyler Morris is stepping into, uh, at least for the time being, he's stepping into that second outside receiver role. Uh, Darius Clemens will still probably get a ton of snaps, but uh, that's good news for you, Matt, because obviously you have Tyler Morris, I have Darius Clemens. Um, but as it relates to the wide receivers and the depth chart, Matt, did you have any specific questions for for our guy Trevor here? Uh, no, not too much. Uh, I was kind of wondering because I saw your post on uh, on Twitter earlier, Trevor, about about the uh, news that you guys were going to be discussing on the wide receivers and stuff like that. So glad to hear your opinion about that and that uh, it aligns with my own 
Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge, huge Tyler Morris guy. So I think that uh, that he's going to just really be a Ronnie Bell in waiting, so to speak. And obviously, I think CJ is going to have a monstrous season. I think even Roman's going to eat a lot this year. But I think that uh, Tyler Morris kind of takes that mantle after the two of those guys possibly depart after this year, if that is indeed what happens for Roman as well. But um, I think that Tyler Morris has an excellent future. He came up very close at the end of that Rutgers game, or not at the end, but in a critical moment during that Rutgers matchup last year. So I like the kid. I just haven't seen enough from Clemens yet up to this point. Hopefully the, he uh, he silences that for me. And I think Michigan has more than enough meat on the bone to go around this year, as long as they just connect on a few more of those plays, a few more of those deep shots. I think that it doesn't really matter if Michigan pounds the rock a lot. I think that we're still going to see them open it up a little bit more and connect on a lot of those deep shots that they missed last year. So I think that plenty of guys are up for a big year. It all just depends on who's able to connect on those plays. And I think Tyler Morris is going to be one of those guys. Well, we know who the most likely third name in the passing game is going to be, and it's not a wide receiver. It's it's It might even potentially be the number one guy that we end up talking about in the passing game, depending on how the season unfolds. And so, of course, we're moving to the tight end position Colston Loveland looks like he could be one of the best tight ends in the country. Uh, I would say potentially the best tight end in the country if Brock Bowers wasn't sitting <laughs> around at Georgia still just ready to dominate everybody. But uh, Colston Loveland does appear to be uh, one of those guys. We saw the Randy Moss style catch in the you know the Purdue game, the Big Ten Championship. And so I think my question there, uh, Trevor, is He's obviously number one on the depth chart, so no, no question there. Uh, Harbaugh likes to play two tight ends. We'll probably see A.J. Barner the most in that other spot. Uh, but my real question is, do you, do you feel like Colston Loveland could have himself a, a Jake Butt-esque uh, year, or are we getting ahead of ourselves with that kind of talk? Well, you know who thinks Colston Loveland can have a Jake Butt-type series season? It's Jake Butt. He's already come out and said that, that he thinks Loveland has already skill sets and talents that are better than he was. So you want to talk about high praise. There you go. Right. So he, he's a wide receiver, literally trapped in a tight ends body. He was a wide receiver until he just got too big to play wide receiver in high school. So they moved him to tight end. A, a tight end has led in or been second in receiving the last two years. So naturally, I think Loveland's going to be in the top two or three just because of the way this offense works. They're going to be in a lot of 12 personnel. You're right. AJ Barner is going to be on the field a ton. And he's going to step step into that more schoonmaker type role where you're going to see him in line. They're both starters in that respect. He's going to be in line doing a little bit more blocking. But Barner's his own threat in the seam in the red zone as well. But Loveland just brings a different element. You can literally line him up anywhere. You know, he's similar to what we saw or what we thought maybe Eric All was going to be had he stayed healthy last year. Guy that can come across the middle. Guy that can get in the flat seam. We like you brought up. You know, a jump ball against Purdue. Back shoulder throw. Two defenders. Uh, if he's upped his blocking game a little bit where they can keep him out there as much as possible and, you know, don't lose anything there. Sky's the limit. Loveland could absolutely just because the ball gets spread around among the top four receivers and running backs or whatever. Loveland could end up leading this team to receiving just because, right? You know, this offense loves tight ends and 
These are, it's crazy to think they've had some really good tight ends come through this system and he could arguably be the best. He's only a sophomore, so we'll have to see, but yeah, I'm with you. The, the guy could catch 50 balls easy. Matt, what's going on with in, in your brain with the tight end position? I, uh, I mean, I just have one main question in regards to, uh, to the depth chart, Trevor, and, and that's really just mainly the placement of the young guys in favor of guys like uh, Max Hibner and or Matt Hibner, excuse me, and Max Bredesen. Where do you see that race kind of playing out? I know you have Bredesen listed uh, as still taking up the mantle of doing fullback duties, which we saw him in already, obviously, quite a bit. So where do you kind of see that playing out? with uh with Hibner and Bredesen and versus kind of the younger guys that they have developing right now. Yeah, the the Bredesen thing is interesting. We'll have to see it executed throughout the season because he could arguably be a clear-cut tight end 3 depending on how much of that H-back type role they use him in or how much of a fullback type role they use him in. So he's going to be a factor. Um I I don't know enough about Barner's blocking right now to, to know this for sure, but Bredesen might be the best blocking tight end, right? And they've lost who was, which was Joel Honigford. So that, that could be an interesting place for him as well. Uh, Hibner's a guy that, you know, fell behind Loveland, you know, Loveland's ascension last year and had a, a nice grab. And then the turf monster caught him in the spring game. So some guys were excited about him. He's definitely going to be a factor there as well. And then, yeah, you've got two freshman tight ends. Um, Deacon, probably has the edge he's the, over Zach Marshall, but Marshall was the early enrollee and he's kind of gotten a jump start on him and he's gotten a lot of Colston Loveland like comparisons in that he's a receiver trapped in a tight end's body. Right. So Deacon was a guy I was like, yeah, he's probably not going to get a lot of looks this year, you know, just with how deep this room is and falling behind. He went from 215 pounds to 251. So if you want to talk about a guy that can be that inline blocker, He's raising his hand. I'm ready, coach. Right. So so we know now in the future what those tight ends are going to look like. Marshall's going to be your your Y tight end, your receiver, your Loveland. And uh, Deacon Tony Alley is going to be that inline blocking guy. I mean, that's that is, again, the freshman gains this offseason were crazy. But I I think Loveland and Barner are going to lead the way. And hopefully, you know, they can stay healthy. Bredesen's going to be a factor. And then Hibner's going to keep fighting. But Marshall's he's impressed some folks this offseason. I like it. Moving on to the big boys in the trenches, every Michigan fan's uh, favorite position. Uh, on the offensive line, my, my real question is, um, it appears that we have a starting five. At least uh, we know four for certain, and, and it really feels like Carson Barnhart is going to fill in, in that, on that right side. Uh, so Drake Nugent in the middle. Zinter and Keegan aren't going anywhere. Ladarius Henderson on the left side. Um, so we've got that we've got that real like starting five offensive line with a lot of talented guys waiting in the wings. Uh, Trevor, I just want to know, you know, it, whether it's due to you know some injury or or performance, uh, who's your sleeper? Like your most your most likely guy that could crack that top five. Who who do you think is most likely to to get into that that spot? Oh, that's tough. Um... <clears throat> I mean, Trent Jones is a guy that you, you can't sleep on. He, if if Henderson doesn't come in, Barnhart's starting on the left side, and, and Jones is probably starting on the right side. He's in great shape. He's an incredible athlete. 
you know, we Miles Hinton <laughs> transferred in as well. Absolute monster, six eight, dude's a beast. He has NFL capable talent, so he's a guy that I, I think could come in as well. And then, you know, we, you talked about Nugent. He's still in a position battle with Greg Crippen. Mm-hmm. Like legitimately, Greg Crippen's pushing pushing him, and and Nugent has gotten a lot of off season hype. So I mean, I'm gonna fill out an entire second unit for you here. That's how great this offensive line group is because I haven't even mentioned arguably the best offensive lineman not starting, and that's Giovanni El Hadi. El Hadi yeah. stepped in last year when Keegan was down, and there was either limited or no drop off. There was a couple times he outperformed Trevor Keegan. Uh, if Keegan or Zinter had not returned this year, they would have plugged him in at starter and felt great about it. That guy is starting on probably every other offensive line in college football. So just, just an absolute beast there. So yeah, you could literally, you know, between Hinton Jones, I'd even mentioned Jeffrey Percy, right? Like you could build a whole nother offensive line and, and be happy with it. That that's how loaded this group is. So who the sixth offensive line is like the guy they bring in for six Oh line sets. That's probably going to be Jones or Hinton. I would imagine, but the first guy off the bench, if it makes sense, you know, obviously depends on the position, but the, the sixth line in terms of starter caliber talent, El Hadi is just an absolute monster. I just want to point out that, uh, Hinton is 340 pounds. Like not a, my not a God, guy. I like, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, a 340 pounder as athletic as him running full speed at me. I mean, I mean, that is insane. Uh, Matt, any O-line questions that popped up for you? Um, No questions. If I had to pick sleepers myself, I'd probably echo that same agreement with Jones, just because I think there's a lot of people counting counting him just completely out right now. And the same with Greg Crippen. I think that he's another sleeper. Not that I think that in the end he will surpass Nugent, but I think that he's going to play this year. And I think that he's going to show a lot of what he hasn't gotten to show up to this point yet. So if I'm talking about sleepers, definitely those guys. Um, Probably some not so much sleepers are Raheem Anderson, who's uh, probably would have been a sleeper if we were talking about him like last year. But this is a guy that's picked up a lot of buzz in the offseason as far as his competency on the offensive line at uh, at both guard and backup center. So he's doing a lot of great things. I hope that he gets an opportunity soon. And also, like you both have already said, Gio El Hadi, who is like not a sleeper, that guy's like an all star uh, just waiting to be on a starting offensive line so i hope that that guy gets in the game somehow as often as possible as often as they can get him in because like trevor said he's just as good if not even better in some instances than keegan so i uh it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out there's just depth on depth on depth and it's not a testament to that any that anybody's bad (laughs) it's just a testament to everybody's in a race to be better than all than each other so it's crazy to watch it all unfold but i think we're gonna witness some diabolical offensive line play by michigan this year we've got some elite talent on the offensive uh line we've also got some elite talent on the defensive line and uh my main question there is uh 
you know, the big boys in the middle. I'm, I'm looking at Chris Jenkins, who's stepping into potentially a Mozzie Smith type role for this team. So we know he's going to be tough. We know he's going to be a run stuffer. The thing that we didn't really see from Mozzie, because we didn't need to, quite frankly, and we might not need to from Chris Jenkins either. But uh, my question really is, uh, do we feel like that he may show up uh, in the pass rush a little bit more than what we saw Mozzie do a year ago? I think so. And, and it's not that Mozzie couldn't. Mozzie kind of filled the role. I, I'm sure you remember the Rashawn Gary controversy, if you will. And Mama Gary came out and explained to everyone what the anchor at Don Brown's defense was, right? That was kind of Mozzie's role. Uh, when I did my show cut ups with Toski last year and we would watch the film after the games, we kept talking about, I wish there was like a sack assist stat. Cause I don't know how many sacks we watched where it's like, well, if Mozzie doesn't do blank, right. Whether it was eating up double teams or pushing the pocket back and getting the quarterback to run out, you know, that was his factor. So it's going to be interesting because the, the true Mozzie role in terms of where you line up in, in the nose tackle set, that's Kenneth Grant, right? So Kenneth Grant losing all that weight. So he's better conditioned so they can keep him on the field and not get trapped is going to be a big deal. I think Jenkins is filling the Mozzie role in the sense that he's probably never coming off the field, right? Mozzie played absurd snaps last year. So I think you're going to see Jenkins get to the quarterback more because he can. He's a guy that can line up like a true defensive end as well. That might be his future in the NFL is even a, a 4-3 DE, right? Like a big guy or even a 3-4, whatever. But he can get after the quarterback. Mason Graham with his wrestling background can just throw dudes out of the way and get to the quarterback. Um, I do think Michigan's going to look to generate pass rush more that way this year because they feel so good about, I don't want to get ahead of you, but they feel a lot better about the two guys behind them this year, right? They were a little exposed at linebacker last year, not a lot of depth. And I think they feel good about exposing the middle of the defense a little bit more this year and letting Jenkins and, and Graham go after the QB. And for the sake of time, Matt, I'm going to pass it to you and, and just open it up to the entire front seven. We heard Trevor kind of reference the linebackers there as well. Uh, but that the front, you know, seven of, or eight of that defense, the, the edges, the, the interior D-line, the linebackers, uh, what, what kind of questions are, 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 you know, interesting factoids are, are, are on your mind there? So one big question that's on my mind, and it's more just a question that's close to my heart than anything, Trevor, is uh, where do you think... Uh, that Mike Barrett plays into this defensive equation for Michigan this year. Obviously, we've got a guy in Hausman that is an animal, it sounds like, uh, for all intents and purposes. He sounds like another guy that's probably similar to like Mason Graham and Derek Moore were a year ago as a freshman that's ready to take like a star caliber step up. Obviously, Mike Barrett is no slouch, has made some amazing plays throughout his Michigan career, uh, but has some flaws to his game. Where do you see him fitting into what Michigan has going on at uh, the linebacker level on defense this year? Well, I, I don't want to crush your, your houseman hopes, uh, but Michael Barrett is the starting will in this defense, and he's somebody that can play the mic. I think they're going to send Junior Colson a lot more this year. At least, man, I hope they do. I think Colson can be a huge factor in the pass rush. He's a guy that could get five to ten sacks. hundred. I mean, I, I've got Colson picked as my Big Ten defensive player of the year. I think he's going to have Devin Bush type year. I'm talking 100 tackles, lots of sacks, probably get a couple picks. Like, it's going to be ridiculous. 
So having a steady guy that can stand in because they're both inside linebackers, right? I, I think Barrett's going to be, he might be a captain too. I mean, that, that, that's what we're talking about here. And again, a sixth year dude, that's a grown man <laughs> playing that position, right? So I do think Houseman's going to be a factor. I do think Michigan's going to run sets that look more like 4-3. They didn't do a lot of three linebacker stuff last year because they really couldn't, right? So I do think Houseman's going to get out there a ton. Um, I don't know if it's going to be pass situational, if he's going to have to eat into Barrett's, you know, roll a little bit or, or how they're going to do that. He is obviously an incredible athlete. Um, I think maybe ranking him as high as he was in terms of incoming transfers kind of built things up where people thought Michael Barrett was heading to the bench or whatever. And I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I think Houseman's going to be a factor, but I think it's going to be more comparable to uh and I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, a linebacker that would be similar, but more like he's not an Uche type player at all, right? Like that's Josiah Stewart probably, but I do think Houseman's going to be used more situationally that, than being a flat out starter like Barrett is, but Hey, he's got the potential. We've, we've seen dudes steal roles, right? It's happened. So the way you're talking about it kind of reminds me of how Iyabi Oki was used at the edge position last year. It's like he came in, everybody was like, oh, he's the next big thing because of where he was ranked. And, and it turned out he made some really big plays. He was on the field a lot, but, but he, he was not, you know, he was very intentionally not like the guy we were depending on in that position. So the way you're talking about Hausman really reminds me of, of, of that recent scenario. Um, let's go ahead and move to the, the secondary here. Let's wrap it up in the defensive secondary. And to me, this is the most interesting conversation and my biggest question. And, and uh, Trevor, you may remember, I actually hit you up on the app formerly known as Twitter uh, recently. Just call it Twitter. Just call it Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I hit you up on X because it sounds like we're doing something like right. we're not supposed to be doing. I hit you I up X'd you. on yeah, I, asked you. <laughs> I, I hit you up on Twitter and because I saw this was this was really how this whole episode came about was I saw your depth chart, um, the, the one that you guys put out. I thought it was great. And then I started to scratch my head because I saw Mike Sandra still sitting uh, in the first position uh, of, of two different spots in the secondary. And I was like, hey, Trevor, explain this to me. And uh, you, you started you really got my wheels turning a little bit because we just assumed that uh, Sandra still is going to be kind of that nickel guy that's a little closer to the line of scrimmage. He's not going to be on the outside. But if you really look at it, the two best defensive backs on this team are Will Johnson and Mike Sainer still. So there's nothing that's stopping uh, Coach Klink, Jim Harbaugh from saying, you know what, why don't we put Mike Sainer still, uh, you know, across from Will Johnson on the outside and, th and then worry about who we're going to plug into that nickel spot. And to me, because of the spring game, I was, you know, I was there in person and, and the guy that I've repeatedly said looked really impressive to me physically was Zeke Berry. I've been just wondering, like, how does Zeke Berry get on the field? And so my ideal way, you know, way to fill these gaps isn't what everybody else is talking about, which is um, McBurrows or Amarion Walker or Jai Harrah Hill, like who goes in there. Say For me, it. it's like, why, why not just have Sanders still, Will Johnson and Zeke Berry come out there as your, your three starters? Yeah. Um, so my question, that's not really a question, but my question is, do you see that as a, as a real possibility or uh, does, it, does it really come back to uh, that that's you know, not, a, not a likely scenario? No, I am the president of what, the fan club for what you just said. I, mm -hmm. I, I love the idea 
of Zeke Barry rising at nickel because Will Johnson might be the backup nickel right now, right? Like that's Rod Moore. People forget the Dax Hill type role can play nickel, right? Zeke Barry can play nickel, corner, safety, Saner still, whatever. These four guys can play every spot, right? So I love the idea of having them all on the field at the same time. Now, that being said, McBurrows is a guy that can play nickel as well. He's a physical dude. He can come up and impact the run game. That's the reason I think you want to keep Mike Saner still in the nickel is when you grade out pass rushing in terms of pass rush efficiency, Saner still is one of the best on the team when it comes to beating blocks and getting to the quarterback in under three seconds, right? His impact in the run game, tackle for loss. I think you want to have him close, and that's the benefit to figuring out that CBT to roll. Um, if Barry can rise, then okay. But yeah, the reason we wrote the depth chart the way we did is we just talked about they might go with three linebackers and say, hey, let's just go four in the secondary. Am I taking Mike Sainer still off the field to leave Jaden McBurrows on the field? I don't think you are. He's the second best corner, right? So that's that's where he stays in the outside role. I do think someone's going to rise from that group. Josh Wallace is getting a lot of hype from Mike Sainer still is one of the people that's been hyping him up as well. You bring in his experience. I think it's comparable to if Jamon Green had stuck around, right? You have that type of experience and talent, but it's not that the young guys couldn't push there. That battle's going to happen throughout the year. They're going to rotate guys, et cetera. I, I do think you want to keep Sainer still at nickel, but man, if, if you're talking about from a competitive standpoint, if Zeke Barry rises and you're like, Hey, I, I think we like him more than not that Walker can't become something elite, but right now is Zeke Barry the best of that group? And am I better off leaving Sainer still out there? I absolutely think that's an option. Matt, how do you see that secondary shaking out? Yeah, no, I think that, uh, in fact, you and I were both talking about it last week. I thought that, uh, that Trevor had a very good translation of how Harbaugh broke it down, obviously, while he was doing his positional rant, you know, obviously going down the list of starters named Mike Sainer still and Will Johnson as uh, cornerback starters for that position. So, I mean, obviously, I, I you can attribute that to them just being tea leaves that Harbaugh's leaving for us. But really, I think that it more kind of falls in line with what both of you guys are saying, that we see Mike Sainer still on the field, Will Johnson on the field, but then more sets where more safeties might be utilized, different defensive back sets. There's really all kinds of ways that uh, that Steve Klinkscale and the Michigan defense can approach it. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting, but I was a huge fan of the addition of Josh Wallace, regardless of if he's going to be the guy at the end of the season. Just because with Michigan wanting to compete for a national championship like they're doing, you need depth at every position group. So I was still a big fan that they went out and got a guy like Josh Wallace, but I just think that there's so many weapons back there for Michigan to play around with that there's really no worry at all for how that layer of the defense is going to perform for them from my end at least. Man, I'm so glad you brought up Josh Wallace because that's a name we haven't mentioned yet that needs to be mentioned, right? Like he, he is a guy with a ton of experience, could very well solve that issue for us. Hey, you know, he might be the guy that steps in across from Will Johnson that allows us to play Mike Sandra still in a much more aggressive position of the field. So 
Uh, amazing call out there, Matt. Uh, Trevor, you are a gentleman and a scholar, sir. Thank you so much for, for your time. Uh, you guys over Amazing Blue Review are doing uh, just incredible work. I know uh, we, we, we look to you guys uh, almost constantly uh, for, for Michigan-related information, but do you want to share uh, with our listeners uh, where they can find you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we're over at michigan.rivals.com. Obviously, we cover Michigan for rivals, so we make the site as convenient as we can for you. So we post tons of free stuff, and then obviously we do have a, a subscription program that allows you to have access to Josh Henschke's Intel and you know get into our message board community, The Den, as well. But um, you can search Maze and Blue Review, find us on YouTube, Michigan Rivals, pull up on Twitter, and then obviously, yeah, michigan.rivals is our site where basically everything I've said today, right? We're, we're always talking over there. So love folks jumping into the conversation and yeah, I can talk Michigan football any day. So thank you for having me back after this long hiatus after I kickstarted all your success. It's the least you could do is finally bring it back. So. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll Venmo you, uh, you know, profit shares down, down the road, man. <laughs> you, you, de you definitely got us going. Um, Matt, where can people find you? Yes, absolutely. And uh, big thanks to Trevor. Love all the stuff that you guys put out there at Maze and Blue Review. Thanks for hanging out with us, buddy. Uh, they can find me at uh, my main Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or any of the great content that me and my team are putting out at Maze and Brew. Uh, that's mazeandbrew.com or you can find them on their Twitter slash X handle uh, at Maze and Brew. Um, other than that, what about you, Mike? Where can people find you, my friend? Head on over to wolverinechronicle.com. That's my blog site. Uh, there's also a Wolverine Chronicle YouTube channel, or I think the thing I'm most active on is Twitter. We're just, we're just going to call it Twitter, at Wolverine Cron. Um, we, are, we are all deliriously withdrawing so much from college football, needing it, fiending it, that we've resorted to talking about players uh, fighting reptiles or reptilian creatures on our podcast. And so there's only... Uh, two or three weeks left. Hang in there, everybody. We know we know you guys are anxiously uh, dehydrated from football as much as we are. So stay tuned uh, to the Big House Bleachers podcast for all your news uh, comments and analysis. And as always, go blue. Go blue.